1: Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Dr. Hannah Shalist brings us an insightful look at the latest from Ukraine and Odessa. We learn more about the critical strike against the Russian Navy and what's happening inside Mariupol and the morale of Ukrainians in general. We learn about aircraft tracking and just how amazing it is. Ian Pechnik with the Flight Radar 24 group, it's flightradar24.com, tells us how it all works, what role military aircraft play in all of it, and how civilians are watching the war in Ukraine on the internet from the sky. Steve Stemming tells us what the hell to watch this weekend. at the controversies behind the latest films in the Harry Potter universe. Mark Wahlberg's new career direction and reviews for new releases that are coming out this week.
0: This is The Shift Podcast.
1: Long weekend this weekend. More time sitting down in front of the telly watching some shows, your, famous, uh, your favorite streaming platforms. What the hell should we watch this weekend? It's connection time. Steve Stebbing is normally on Thursdays, uh, the later on the Thursdays, but it's uh, or, or early Friday morning to tell us all of this. But with the weekend, we thought we would introduce him to you now at a completely different time of day. What we do is we chat about some movies, we chat about the things, and we're going to get started here with our very first selection, stevestebing.ca, is Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore.
2: If you listen carefully enough, the past whispers to
1: you.
0: We're here to see Alice Dumbledore. That would be my brother. The world as we know it is coming undone
1: Brile is pulling it apart with hate if we're to defeat him you'll have to trust me uh, is this like the, the spin-off sitcom what's happening here
3: this is the spin-off series that's based on a book a popular book series about a, a wizard and kid I don't know where they got the books thing I think they like found them in a cave or something I'm not too sure the author of them. I don't know some some person but um, basically yeah this is the third piece in the prequel story that kind of sets up Harry Potter's story and you know in this one you get young Dumbledore uh, played by uh, a dashing uh, Jude Law in this and uh, I mean this movie has a lot of controversy besides it being found in a cave um, because the villain was played by Johnny Depp in the last film. Uh, due to certain things he was recast uh, and this also features a, a villain role by Ezra Miller who's going through his own uh, bad stuff right now I think he was arrested in Hawaii or something like that for some domestic violence or something oh. Uh and yeah there's just a lot of yikes and it's apparently a Warner Brothers cut some of uh Dumbledore's love story out for the Chinese audiences a little bit of pandering there. Uh, So there is a lot of kind of inky stuff going around here. Um, I really enjoyed the first film the second film felt like crammed with way too much stuff going on and not enough payoff. And so I kind of it's like a double edged sword going to this one. Um, I, I'm not going to be seeing it till tomorrow night. So keep an eye on my Twitter at the steeple dead. I'll at my thoughts after after the movie. But um, yeah, I, I'm uh, the bar is at the middle for me right now on this one, just because the last one wasn't great.
1: It's it's uh, uh, I don't maybe I'm maybe I'm this is what it seems strange to me. Now I'm not a Harry Potter fan, like that I've watched them all faithfully front to back in order, you know, in one afternoon with my friends type of fan. But it seems to me that they're building the wrong characters first in prequel, sequel type scenario. If I look at Star Wars, Star Wars has leaned into some of the more core characters first, the Jedi's, all those things, and then off into, um, Uh, what's his name, the uh, Bounty Hunter, right? Mm -hmm. After, Mm -hmm. right? And even then, they still tied Yoda into that storyline, right? Mm -hmm. And it seems like the Dumbledore stuff, to me, is too far reaching down the character list to be building the other stuff. I mean, to me, if it's prequels, it's got to be about Harry's parents and the storyline about those things. And maybe that's a simplistic view because I don't know it as well, but I think that it's far more appealing if they're telling the story of how Harry got there, not all of these sort of tertiary characters.
3: I don't think the story starts out being about Harry though. I think this story is more about the, effect on magic in the world and trying to keep it secret so i think that that does at at the head of it have to do with dumbledore because he, at the beginning of the story he's the guy that runs everything yeah he's the puppet master of it all so I, you I need that, to explain but... that ancient evil and how it got there and how it got powerful then how it got dormant for it to rise up during the harry potter era
1: Okay. That's fair. I like the perspective. I just think that it's, um I get in this, in the stories of writing, I just, I guess I don't see when i take a mainstream look at this, how anybody outside of Harry Potter would be interested in this. And I think that's some of the access that some of these prequel shows and series and movies do win is they can bring in new audience about that storyline without having seen the other one first. And I'm not quite sure I find that people find that that appealing.
3: Yeah, I just think it's just way too big of a fandom and they're not aiming
1: Maybe. Maybe for it's
3: new... They're not aiming for people that haven't seen Harry Potter or that don't care about Harry Potter. They're aiming for the yeah. people that love Harry Potter. That's why the there Wizarding is. World thing is in the beginning of the trailer.
1: That could be and they're obviously aiming for quality character actors let's include that uh next on the stew next on the stew is father movie oh boy (laughs) i figured it out yeah seventh times a charm i'm being actor oh god you don't belong with those la folks they're a bunch of fascist hippies (laughs) What brings you here?
3: And I figured no better place to be discovered than the supermarket.
1: Hey, did I see you on a television series?
3: You do movies? You don't work in the entertainment industry at all? No, man. You still know
1: you're fussing with this truck?
3: I'm a son. I'm just borrowing it. I reckon it's a few months worth of cleanups on aisle four to
2: pay off a of DUI income.
1: Uh, Father Stew is the name of the show with Mark Wahlberg.
3: Yeah. uh, Speaking of problematic, uh, we have Mark Wahlberg heading down the faith-based path, which is uh, apparently, according to interviews, he's looking to retire from mainstream movies pretty soon and then just focusing on faith-based Christian pushing films for the rest of his career. Um, Just a... I I even I don't even know what to make of that because I have not come across and, and I'm sorry, just my personal opinion, I have not come across a faith-based film that worked for me storyline, plot line, character wise, that wasn't just more focused on pushing pushing the message more than anything. Um but Wahlberg sure. but the the problematic thing is in is is you're going for a faith based film, a wholesome film, and then in a supporting role you cast Mel Gibson and i'm really confused by this move um
1: you know i suppose it depends on the core of what you're going for maybe i mean well this is a weird one
3: this film is about redemption and mel gibson is a guy that doesn't have redemption because he's never apologized for anything but they still throw rolls at his feet and i don't Mm -hmm. get it so Basically, this is a true story film about a boxer uh, like The Fighter with Mark Wahlberg, but uh, he gets into a, a car accident and everything is kind of seeking redemption from his rough and tumble life. So he decides that he's going to become a priest. And
1: how many times um, have uh, that movie, though, right? Like faith yeah, from st- Boxer from the streets thing. I mean, the only thing that would make this more boring is if he opened up a burger joint.
3: <laughs> yeah it's the Wahlbergers movie um, I mean as far as his retirement like the guy's got enough money for sure and got enough businesses that it's not going to hurt him at all but I just if you're going to get into this field can you not at least make it better can you not at least put a mark on it that is broader because there's this is only arrow focused at a certain audience and just will not appeal to anybody else
1: yeah I get that next on the list choose or die
2: you are fired
0: Saudi so eviction notice
2: this used to be a good neighborhood what's this cursor the 125 grand prize
0: there are a ton of unclaimed prizes from retro games
2: could be easy money you know Wilkie's on 37th yes I do Meet me there tonight
0: at one thirty.
2: It's a date. It's a deal.
1: It's a date. It's a deal. Choose or die, Steve. Sounds like you're getting spooky.
3: Yeah, this is a this is a horror movie, Shane. I apologize. Oh, yeah, Netflix uh, optioned this one. Um, basically, it is about a girl that's kind of down on her luck, lives in a poor neighborhood with her mom, and uh, finds out about this uh, video game, this eighties video game, like a role playing like the green and black screen letters and everything um, that has, at the end of it, a $100,000 prize. But it turns out this video game is cursed by the occult, and uh, the choose or die is very real. And with a premise like that, I was really hoping for something really cool, but the movie relies so much on jump scares using sound and everything to just jar you out of your lull of boredom. I guess in this one, a lot of the uh, horror violence is off screen. It feels like, or just kind of done through the video game trope. And I, even the, the third act just completely falls apart and becomes like absolutely nonsensical, even though this is kind of grandiose and far fetched anyway. Um and yeah, this one just um it's the equivalent of a
1: whoopee cushion, honestly. Oh. Uh, I feel like I'd rather watch Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> On Blu-ray with Steve Stebbing. What the hell should we watch this weekend and Steve Stemming.ca, Spider-Man No Way Home. Hello, Peter. You're not Peter Parker.
0: I'm sorry, what was your name again?
1: Dr. Otto Octavius.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, seriously, what's your actual name? There are others out there. We need to send them back. So, Scooby-Doo this
1: crap. You know, all this is kinda your mess. I know a couple of magic words myself, starting with the word, please.
3: Please, Scooby-Doo
1: this crap. Hello, Steven. Do I like? Am I still a Hannibal Lecter moment? First of all, I'm sorry. It's a very Hannibal Lecter (laughs) moment. (laughs) Well, Molina, Molina can definitely
3: pull off the the villain quite well. He's got a great voice for it, and Benedict Cumberbatch obviously has a great, um, has a really great villain voice too. But. Um I'll say that he, even in this movie, strange is a little plays a little bit of uh, of the antagonist against uh, against Peter at certain points in this film. I'm not sure how deep to get on spoiler on this one. I know this one came out just before Christmas uh, and lots of people saw it. there It made so much money at the box office, but there are still people out there, probably listening right now that haven't seen this. So how much of the reveals can I really give away on this movie?
1: Uh, I mean, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I mean, but try to not give it all away. I suppose. Yeah. Do I, I talk I, about the show?
3: Yeah, it, it's a great film. Tom Holland's great. Zendaya's great. The supporting cast is really good in this one, especially some returns that I thought were really great. I, I, this is so dicey here. I, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin any of the experience because even watching the Blu-ray when I got it. I, when certain moments hit in the movie, it still felt effective to me. Like, I still, like, my heart beat a little quicker, and I was just, I, I was excited to see certain parts in this movie again. And I think that's a mark of a really fun movie when, when it still, re- it still hits the same. So, uh, Spider Man No Way Home, it's fun. I just, so much fun and, and rewarding, absolutely rewarding.
1: It is okay, by the way. Everybody knows the spider was radioactive, Steve. It's not a spoiler. (laughs) (sighs) Um, We have time for one more quick one here, by the way. Gold or Last Looks? Which one?
3: Let's do Last Looks.
2: Lorena.
0: You ghosted me, Waldo.
2: I ghosted everybody.
0: Look, I'm here on business. Alistair Pinch, the actor. Killed his wife. Guilty. Maybe he killed her, maybe he didn't. I don't think he even knows. The guy's a blackout drunk.
1: Deplore drinking alone, so I have a double. Um. Okay, where are we going with this one? It seems like it's, yeah, interesting.
3: I know the second movie this week to feature Mel Gibson, too. <gasps> That's kind
1: of what I was alluding at, Yeah.
3: Right? Yeah, and, and it's the weird mo- feeling I had going into this film, uh, but uh, unlike Father Stu, I was much more pleasant about this movie because he's not the lead in this one. This Charlie Hunnam's movie from uh, Sons of Anarchy. He plays a disgraced former cop that is hired by a studio executive to investigate the the murder of a prominent actor's wife, that prominent actor being Mel Gibson's character. So it's very much like a Hollywood private, private eye noir film. It's a little funny here and there. Um, it's got some great mystery to it some really fun action scenes and it's based on a book written by a howard michael gould um, and it's kind of based around this this private eye character charlie waldo and he's written another book for it and i think there's another one on the horizon as well and honestly i could watch more charlie waldo movies i thought that this was such a cool detective story that they don't. There doesn't seem to be a lot of these type of movies anymore, and um, the effectiveness of it just kind of resonates with you right away. And yeah, bring on the Waldo movies because I'm totally down.
1: Mel Gibson for me is kind of. I feel like what Will Smith is in my mind at this point has become. I just don't mm-hmm. think it's that interesting. I'm not quite sure I can buy into it the same way as I used to. You know.
3: No, and it's sad because if I think about myself in the late 80s, 90s and everything, watching movies and stuff, watching Mad Max, watching The Road Warrior, watching Lethal Weapon. He yeah. was the man. He was, he was the man.
1: man. There's, there's
3: well, no other way to say
1: it. Braveheart. Let like, me ask you this quickly, the then. Uh, Johnny Depp's on trial mm-hmm. uh, for you know some domestic stuff and all those things. Does that change mm-hmm. your opinion of him? Because his acting level to me is so far superior than these other guys.
3: Yeah, I would agree that his acting level is higher. I, I have such a weird trepidation when it comes to talking about Amber Heard because I think Amber Heard has an abusive past prior to the Johnny Depp relationship as well. Yeah. Um, there's some, there's just certain things about Amber Heard, and and it's so it's funny because those things are very public. Um, her some of her exes have come forward to say stuff, but yet she's still the second. She's still the romantic lead in Aquaman. And the yeah. sequel, even though apparently the executives at Warner's were like, she has little to no chemistry with uh, Jason Momoa, um, but we're going to still fast wow. forward to this one. But we're going to replace Johnny Depp on the on on uh, Fantastic Beasts, although Mads Mikkelsen is the replacement, and I
1: love that dude.
0: This is the Shift Podcast.
1: It's time for us to reconnect back to Ukraine as the stories continue to come in. Um, yeah, it's it's not been a good bunch of days uh, in Ukraine, and we got to get some insight directly from Ukraine. Uh, Hannah Shalist joins us from Edessa, Ukraine. Uh, Hannah is um, amazing. We'll just start there with Ukrainian prism. Clarity is what it's all about, PhD, and all these studies. Now, Hannah, I connected the dots by accident um, about with a friend of yours this week.
2: Uh, good morning. With whom? Because uh, luckily we have a lot of friends around the world. <laughs> you do.
1: We had Yevgenia Gaber on uh, talking about the Black Sea and the impact of the Black Sea, and um, and so it was nice to uh, to connect the dots that you know her uh, very well as well.
2: Yes, exactly. We're both promoters, and Yevgenia uh, being my student uh, many many years ago.
1: I think that's very cool. It was neat to uh, to hear that connection and 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 uh, hear she says so all kinds of amazingly nice things about you. By the way, so that's probably worth noting too. She seems to be a very big uh, fan of yours, which is great. How are you doing? How are things in Odessa for you, Hannah?
2: Uh you know, after the first cup of morning coffee, the life is much better in any conditions. Yeah. That's, yeah, for sure. that's true. But yeah. uh, um, considering the night news, uh, it's also the mood is more optimistic because I don't know is it already reached. Uh, uh, Canada or not, but this night we managed to target the biggest uh, Navy ship of the Russian Federation, destroyer mm-hmm. Moscow. And it's quite a symbolic, uh, both because of the name, uh, because of the role of the ship, and that is exactly that ship that at the very first day targeted Ukrainian island snake, uh, from where that famous phrase uh, about the Russian ship started.
1: Yeah, the famous phrase. Thank you for not saying it. Um, it was, uh, it was very symbolic. Everything that happened, um, the damage on this warship. Uh, do you maybe just offer some details as you know it? Cause I don't know what came about to, um, to have this attack on this ship. Do you?
2: you need to understand that that is the biggest destroyer um, that owns all these caliber long-range missiles that been targeting uh, from the sea different ukrainian cities so it's not only against odessa but caliber missiles that is 400 500 um, kilometers So uh, uh, many of the cities in the middle of the uh, Ukraine have been targeted exactly from this ship. Also, the ship is the part of the uh, Russian air defense system for the uh, Navy ship. So it's like covering all of them. And uh, it's been uh, near Yasmini island that is the very, very tiny island between Ukraine and uh, Romania. And it's been threatening uh, everything uh, from there as much as possible. Uh, This night, uh, Ukrainian armed forces used uh, quite a unique uh, uh, missile that we just started using from January. So I would say that is their first uh, real strike. Uh, they called Neptune, so you can imagine that it is also a very symbolic name uh, for the missiles. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as we know, uh, both missiles uh, reached the goal. Uh, it had been a very strong fire, and except for the fire, all this ammunition that had been on the ship started detonating. And uh, um, it looks like in the middle of the night we received the message that uh, the ship is not operatable anymore, and it is even the question if they still own it. The Russian Federation mm-hmm. has only four ships of this type.
1: Hmm. Uh, where did that happen? Did it happen in the Sea of Azov or was it more in the Black Sea?
2: No, no, no. That is the Black Sea. That is exactly, uh, it is like 30 miles from Odessa. So if you look on the map from Odessa, it's almost near the Romanian territorial waters. So you're just going by the uh, coast uh, to the south. And uh, uh, this island is really very interesting because uh, it, it's a tiny, tiny island that used to have the Greek colonies thousands of years ago, then been inhabited, and then we used to have there uh, a little bit of the border officers. Uh, and uh, um, mostly discussing, like, even really we need some forces over there. It's been a long dispute between us and the Romanians about the waters around. So, like, people here know about the symbolism of this um, uh, island, but since the beginning, when the Russians attacked it, attacked heavily and uh, um, arrested people and took the ships that had been their rescue ships, uh, that definitely became very symbolic to, uh, um, uh, let's say, to pay back to that um, forces that occupied this island.
1: What was the name of the island again?
2: Uh, snake or Serpent snake. Island? It's the pe- oh. Yes, uh, it is like we call it Zmeyni, but uh, on most of the maps you will find it as the Snake or Serpent Island.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. Well, thank you very much for the insight, and um, and uh, and you know, that's it's remarkable. It's it's a big victory. Now, uh, other clarity. I'm hoping you can provide us, uh, Hannah, because uh, that clarity is what you do. Uh, troops surrendering, uh, Mariupol. Um, now, of course, Russia says that you know they, you know they they surrendered and they were happy to do so and all those stupid things, but um, um, it it does look like that's a that's a loss. Currently in Mariupol, or is this misinformation, or what do you know?
2: No, the forces didn't surrender for sure. Even more, um, the two groups of the Ukrainian forces managed to unite uh, the Marines and uh, um, Azov Regiment. Uh, They've been in the different parts of the cities, but they managed to do two days ago a very fantastic operation and United their Forces at the Azovstal. The bad thing that the Russians started to use chemical weapons over there. We still don't know what type of the hazardous they used because, like, it's impossible to conduct uh, investigation and testing, as you can imagine. But as a lot of people have been hiding, uh, both military and a little bit of civilians, at the territory of Azovstal, that is the biggest metallurgical plant in the region. And uh, you can imagine how many of the hidden places you can find there for for all these um, reasons. And uh, Russians throw um, some type of hazardous uh, there, and we have at least six people confirmed being uh, affected uh, by it. Luckily, not dead, but, but affected.
1: So we look at um, what has been going on. Um, the expectation that we hear in the West Hannah is that the next couple of days, sometime over the course of the weekend, this weekend, that um, Russia is going to reignite some of the attacks that they've been doing. For us this weekend, it's Easter. So I, my question is sort of... Uh, two part here. Uh, One is, uh, what do you expect is going to come in the next few days? And the next part is Easter is different in Ukraine, from what I understand. So maybe you could also help us understand uh, when Easter happens uh, in Ukraine.
2: Yes, we have uh, this year, the Easter will be on the 24th of April. So uh, very soon as well. Th- that's connected with the differences in the uh, Catholic and Orthodox um, calendars that we are using. Sometimes mm-hmm. with the Easter we have same day, but this year it is different. Uh, but the question is that Russians need to achieve at least something by 9th of May. And uh, if uh, many of the Western countries are celebrating the uh, um, win in the Second World War at the 8th of May, but in the at the territory of the Soviet Union we always celebrate it on the 9th of May because uh, the uh, treaty uh, being signed uh, on the on, like on the midnight, so it was already one hour more in Moscow than in Berlin. That's why this uh, confusion. And uh, uh, Russians always uh, try to do something by the 9th of May. That is the big um, glorifying event there. And we already heard from many of the leadership, political and military in Moscow, that uh, they need something by this day. That's why we're expecting that um, more fighting can happen. But to reach at least something, they need to concentrate the forces. That's why we see the accumulation of the forces on the east of the country and uh, um, increase of the fightings in the territory of the Donetsk and Lugansk region
1: uh does it uh because of the more recent increases of uh, rocket attacks to where you are in Odessa um when we look at at the map and we see what is uh you know the 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 line of the black sea around uh Ukraine and and everything that's there um you know looking at going sort of across the coast of black sea through Odessa into Moldova seems to be one of those possibilities that this could be looked at you know um I'm not diminishing uh, Ukraine's resources to stop that. I'm just speaking from the intention, it seems, that could be the case from Russia uh, to cross past um, Mikolaiv, uh Kherson and uh, and make their way to Odessa. How are things in Odessa for you? It's been a little bit, I guess it's been a week and a half since those last rockets landed, if my timeline is correct. But, um, you know, have things in Odessa settled back again a little bit to, well, this this kind of normal?
2: Yes, you're right, because after this, we didn't have the same uh, um, type of attacks. Uh, They've been the sirens and the uh, um, um, alerts uh, uh, announced, but sometimes we have alerts when the missile is coming, like, for example, from Crimea through the whole territory of Ukraine, and maybe it is targeting something on the north, but all regions that are on the way are announcing alerts because you you never know uh, where it can target. Uh, but in general, the last week has been uh, uh, quite a calm uh, over here. And uh, um, considering that the Russians didn't manage to advance uh, uh, against Mikolaev, even more, we see that Ukrainian armed forces managed to liberate several villages closer to Kherson. Uh, that's why uh, probably now we are not expecting the, the land operation. Uh, Shelling, we always can expect, because you need to understand that the shellings are also um, used to distract attention of the main forces. So not to allow, for example, the contingent that is stationed around Odessa uh, to uh, move further to Kherson, uh, because they understand that they also need to protect uh, what is here, because the threat is, um, like uh, it didn't disappear. Uh, But at the same time, uh, um, considering that uh, they would like some success, they need to concentrate the forces. They are not able now to recruit sufficient amount of the newcomers uh, so that's why the East is more preferential for this. Why you need to understand that some parts of the Donetsk and Lugansk regions have been already uh, um, uh, occupied since 2014. And uh, Putin announced their independence uh, just two days before um, this invasion. That's why to occupy more over there to control the whole administrative regions of the Donetsk and Lugansk regions would be important for him because he can present it as some kind of success.
1: Hmm. Wow. I guess him and I have a different uh, version of what is success. That's for sure. Um, we're starting to hear that, and this is what I don't understand. This is the open forum, Hannah, for you to get frustrated or whatever it is that 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 comes up for you. Is that it is good news that you're starting to hear that countries like the United States, uh, armored troop carriers, and now they say helicopters. It does kind of make you wonder. Well, no airplanes, but helicopters. You know. Uh, what at this point, what is stopping um, these other nations from just helping and sending the heavy stuff like per, armored personnel carriers versus tanks? I get there's training and all kinds of stuff involved. Same thing with airplanes. But, you know, they're getting closer and closer. It's taken a long time to get there, which must be frustrating, but also good news at the same time.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, there are several issues that we need to consider. Issue number one is that we should be selective in terms of choosing what weapons to send because we need to understand how much time we need for the training. Some of the trainings of Ukrainian officers are already happening uh, at the territory of Lithuania, for example, or Poland. Uh, So while we are waiting the logistical delivery, uh, we are preparing, but that you can do for some artillery systems. It's much more difficult to do for the airplanes because that's much more sophisticated. You cannot just change from uh, MiG to um, aerobus or something like this. The second issue is that um, we realize that the Russian Federation would like to charge any type of the foreign uh, assets uh, trying to be delivered uh, here. That's why uh, many countries started to deliver but not to announce about it, or announce only after everything is already installed on the ground. So, for example, that's happening with some um, tanks, with some armament vehicles. So, predominantly, what can be announced, more or less, um, in the real time that's uh, to things like javelins because it is much more difficult to target uh, their delivery but still right. uh, all these uh, cover shadow information is done to uh, to make secure delivery
1: yeah you know that's a very good point we don't think of it that way we don't think that hey by the way they're going to deliver this stuff first then we're going to say hey we're helping them by giving them to them meanwhile they're not just getting on a train in poland they're actually already in the theater or uh, being deployed so that way they don't get interrupted on the way. We often uh, don't think of that part at all. And we often take the government as, you know, what we would say in English face value to to uh, what they're saying to us is is accurate. Now, of course, it's probably accurate, but the timeline could be offset in order to maintain some secrecy around it.
2: Exactly, because here we understand perfectly that uh, when you own the information you can and when you have the bad intelligence, you can adjust uh, your fighting, so in this way, for us, the most important is the delivery definitely uh, we know information that some countries are delaying what they promised, and uh, that's also the issue let's let's be honest, We know some countries that made decisions forty days ago and still are considering uh, the issue, so it, it looks like they will deliver them for the victory parade. Uh, but, but still, uh, it, it's not about everything. And uh, sometimes we know about the public decision to deliver something because the parliament needs to approve it, for example. But at the same time, then the whole process is we, we are trying to you, take it as uh, secret as possible, uh, just to be sure that we can use it, but not just to show on the photo.
1: Anna Jaylist is in Odessa. Hannah, can you tell us what a typical day in Odessa looks like for you? I mean, you said, you know, it is morning. Now you have your first cup of coffee. That's always a good start to the day. And with that comes a little bit of gratitude. You have shared with us that sometimes you're able to sit down with friends and have a little bit of a visit, but other days you, you don't get a chance to do that. Can you help us understand what a day looks like for you in Odessa today?
2: You know, many people are trying to to have their normal life. In my case, uh, um, I'm continuing working with the uh, some of the projects that are still relevant. For example, yesterday we uh, presented the recommendations of the Ukrainian expert community for the NATO strategic concept that should be delivered in uh, June. So we had a wonderful uh, online presentation together with the NATO officials. Uh, it, it looked so normal and so strange after 40 days without uh, such public events, but yeah. we are definitely definitely Definitely, in my case, there are a lot of interviews because a lot of media are now trying to come to Odessa, but also a lot by telephone or by Zoom. That is a lot of writing of some analysis and recommendations. That is planning of the advocacy campaigns together with my friends from the human rights community and from the PR community. We accumulated our efforts. Uh, That's trying to spend the time with uh, my family. Uh, because now you value uh, each of these minutes uh, much more than probably even before the war, and uh, luckily I have a wonderful family around me. Walking with dogs, uh, luckily it is more or less good weather coming, Uh, not yesterday, Um, uh, but but in general the spring is coming, so it is already pleasant to walk uh, several times per day with the dogs uh, around the downtown. And sometimes having coffee outside, we already can have some cafes and restaurants opened, uh, they are working till six pm or something only, but to have your uh, coffee normality in some nice uh, um, uh, cafe that you used to go for years, that also these understanding of the normality, and then all the regular things that any person is doing from market to shops to just uh, making the life around you more or less normal.
1: Yeah, you know what? That's 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 fantastic. I, I love that story because what it creates for me, Hannah, is that. You know, when I have my coffee, I often wonder about you and and some of the other people that we've met in Ukraine and say, you know, I, I wonder if you have a chance to have a coffee today. I wonder if you had a chance to sit down and look outside and appreciate the birds singing and see the sunshine and all those things um, and where the stress is and, and the concern or is there alarms going off and you're going to basements? So when you paint that story for us, I think it directly connects to our lives. It brings the... It brings it right into our lives. It's not a foreign country. It's not a, a foreign city. It's, it's not a person that we've never met in person, uh, but that we consider, you know, a, a family member of the show here in chatting with you. It becomes real life stuff where we can picture your life. And, um, and I thank you for that because I think you really bring it right to us by telling us that story. Thank you, you. know what
2: Anna. is interesting? The, the first places that opened in Kyiv after it's been more or less uh, uh, safe, that been the coffee places. Because people wanted even running around to have their uh, cup of coffee um, take out, for example. And uh, all my friends that been still in the city under uh, all these uh, security uh, situation, the first thing they did, uh, they bought a cup of uh, coffee outside, walking outside, and saying, now you can breathe; like it's a little bit, a, a small piece of normality that you can uh, have here.
1: Hannah Shalas, PhD Odessa, ukraine Thank you, Hannah. Have a wonderful weekend, and I look forward to connecting next week.
2: Thank you for the invitation. Always great. This is the
0: Shift Podcast.
1: One of the things we do here on the Shift in the background and we do watch all the time is Monitor Flight Radar 24 flight radar 24 if you listen to the shift you've heard me talk about this website before it's a great way to follow airplanes and what is happening in the world well there's a much grander story about flight radar 24 than just that Uh, it's a very cool product Um, it's a very innovative product and it's actually quite scary at times the information that's available on here so we wanted to learn more about it uh ian Pechnik is the director of communications flight radar 24 he also uh co-hosts their podcast that they have if you want to check that out um and ian's here with us to talk about airplanes and nerd things hello ian Hello, Shane. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you being here. This is great. Um, flight Radar 24, flight airline aircraft tracking. Open up the map. There's a bunch of dots all around the world. These cool little animated airplanes that fly around. That's a very simplistic look at it. Why don't you tell us, um, in your own words, what is Flight Radar 24 and why, why does it
0: matter? Sure. So the... The site that you see, um, if you type in flightradar24.com or open up the app, uh, that's showing you live air traffic all around the world based on the radio signals that are coming out of the aircraft. So we've got a, a network of over 30,000 uh, radio antennas around the world uh, in, in plus some satellites up in space that are tracking these signals from the aircraft. And then we combine all of the data that's coming out of the aircraft with things like schedule information um, that fuse all that together and turn that into uh, what you see on the map. Now, This is cool if you want
1: to find out with your family, where your family is, or your friends are, or if you want to just be an aviation nerd. I know a lot of the plane spotter groups use these to track specific aircraft that they want to take photos of. Um, So, you know, old 747s are tracked on here all the time because the local plane spotters want to know when some of those big cargo 747s are coming into their town. Um, So this is really cool. I use it all the time, of course, mapping when I travel, all of that. It seems kind of terrifying, Ian, to think that anybody can log on and this information is publicly available to find out where an airplane is um, with with bad people who want to do bad things.
0: Well, I mean, the 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 signals that are coming out of the aircraft are first and foremost for the safety of of the aircraft themselves. So the the technology that the aircrafts are broadcasting on is called ADS-B, or Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast. And so what those signals do is they feed into a lot of the safety systems that builds the backbone of global aviation. And it's a global standard. It's an open standard so that anyone anywhere flying a commercial aircraft can can implement the standard and know that those aircraft are going to be safe flying around the world. Um, the ADSB signal, uh, the transponder on the aircraft that feeds into things like, uh, the, uh, what's called TCAS, um, it's a collision avoidance system. So that aircraft that are flying uh in in close proximity to each other never get close enough to actually crash. Um and, and a midair collision was the the basis for the the modern system of air traffic control. Uh and, and so this just builds on that safety.
1: Okay, that makes sense. I mean nobody wants to learn a law of physics. Um, not, at, not at 35,000 feet. No, no, not that fast. Um, so okay, so literally everything is tracked. Uh, kind of hear these marine trackers, uh, air trackers, all these things to be able to track. Now, for example, I'm looking over England right now, Sheffield, actually, and, um, you know, there's a glider. That's a, a non-engine uh, guy who's uh, probably crazy, but floating around um, <laughs> with no engine. At the same time, the number one tracked thing, as we have this conversation, is a Typhoon, which is a military jet uh, owned by uh, the UK, flying around Um so that always leads to the question of, okay, well, it's one thing to follow a cargo plane, you know, if you really want to find where your socks from Amazon are, but it's another thing to uh, follow military aircraft and all these other things that are out there are all military aircraft on here, or is it just the ones that, that need to turn it on, turn it off to get done what they're doing?
0: Yeah. The, the flights that are visible on, on our service are, uh, visible because they choose to be um, military aircraft that are operating uh, in in a in a place where they need to not be seen uh, can turn off their transponder uh, and or or operate on a different transponder that is not trackable by our service the the radio frequencies that we use to track mostly commercial aircraft. Um, are, are very specific to that service. And military aircraft can, can use a, either a different transponder mode or just turn their transponder off uh, to operate without being seen on a service like ours.
1: Now, sometimes, and this is where it gets really cool, because you can kind of let your imagination go. Uh, that typhoon that I mentioned that's flying out of the UK, its map is interrupted. Uh, it looks like um, that it probably went off and did some training or did some work. And as soon as it got back into a more commercial airspace, it seems like um, they probably got back into the fold here. So... Um you know, can you help us understand, you know, how some of these, because the questions we got always asked, of course, is everyone goes to look at Ukraine right now with what's going on. Sure. And sure. sometimes you can see some of the drones that are monitoring over the Black Sea around Moldova. Sometimes you can see some Blackhawks that are buzzing around along the border. And you can see some of those big Globemaster, uh, you know, the gas stations in the air guys. Um, you can see those uh, all the time. They're usually in pretty high traffic areas that you can see them. So obviously they're, they're in safety mode too. Um, it must make you really curious when you when you don't know what's going on or when you see some of these things sort of reappear into the into the by the way, let's be safe now mode after they were busy doing their
0: work. Right. So so certain aircraft that are in that area are certainly um either turning off their transponder um, or going to a mode where, where they're not trackable by our service. Um, other times you're getting aircraft that are coming uh, in and out of coverage. Um, so, so for instance, the, the typhoon, if they go low enough, over out over the ocean um they're not going to be because all of these are radio signals and their line of sight um so so just as if you know you you go behind a mountain and your radio goes out um if these aircraft go behind a mountain or go out to sea far enough we're not going to be able to to continue tracking them so so sometimes it's out of coverage and other times it's uh for mm-hmm. for more interesting reasons
1: more interesting reasons it's really cool and i would imagine that now i'm only speculating this is my my <laughs> it's in my brain getting into conspiracy mode that um there are situations where certain uh, aircraft that might be rather um daunting leave their transponders on to let other you know places know by the way we've got four planes
0: over here right now just letting you know <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's certainly been the case with a lot of the a lot of the activity near the border of Ukraine, um, where you're seeing I mean, you mentioned the um, some of the strato tankers and some of the reconnaissance aircraft that are operating uh, either, you know, for for NATO uh, forces or or in, adjacent to NATO forces where they're leaving the transponder on Um and we've gotten questions. People write us in to, to our support team or, or on social media or things like that. And they'll say, how come I can see these things? And, and the answer, like I said a few minutes ago, is, is that because they want to be seen. They're saying, yes, we are here. We are operating these aircraft in this airspace. Hi, how are you today? Um, and, and they want to be seen.
1: Okay, so now you work there. You've been there for like seven years, according to your LinkedIn. <laughs> what, uh, what do you... Um what do you like you flight rider 24 is your every day so what do you nerd out and watch like i mean i'm i'm assuming that one of the emails that goes around the office is probably like hey by the way don't watch all airplanes all day how about you get some work done like what is uh, it that you guys watch i mean
0: i have i have one of the greatest jobs in the world because that is my job I mean, my my job is, you know, to to look at the airplanes all day um, and to pick out the interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So so for the past month, I've been doing uh, a lot of, um, you know, watching near ukraine uh watching the aircraft in russia that are are being you know, basically taken from the rightful le- foreign lessors whether it's um you know an irish lessor or, or somewhere else and being put on the russian registry and continuing to operate for russian airlines mm-hmm. um things like that or or on uh on some days it, it's dealing with um data requests about um aircraft that that have severed accidents like the, the Chinese 737, mm-hmm. um, that, that crashed, um, you know, uh, last month or, uh, or the DHL seven five seven that went off the runway in San Jose, Costa Rica last week.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's get it off the runway. Uh, lots yeah. of tracking. Now there, there are multiple levels of subscriptions to this, by the way, I can tell you this, that the free version is fantastic. It's great. You'll enjoy it. But if you pay the couple of bucks and subscribe, you get a lot of info. It's really great. Um, And you can track the history of flights, which is kind of cool when you look at things. And one of the things I found most interesting that taught me a lot was when airspace started to close for Russian airlines, right? There was a time where here in Canada, we had closed our space, but the United States had not. And if you watch some of the flight paths that were coming out of the Caribbean, people on vacation going back to Moscow, they were originally skirting along the East Coast of the US and then cutting off that corner of Canada. And still did it after it closed for a little while. That caused some trouble. And you can look back at the history of some of the flights and see how they started to have to go over Iceland, over Sweden, over Finland, all the way around the top and come back into uh, Moscow and Russia that way. Because there was no other way that they were allowed to go. So it does get kind of curious to the highways in the sky, if you will.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot that you don't necessarily think about um, how politics or, or geopolitics affects aviation. Uh, but, um, there, there's always, there's always an aviation angle, uh, is something, of John Ostrow, who's a friend of mine says, um, I think I actually owe him royalties for saying that now, uh, but you can always, you can always find something. And, and with that, it's, you know, the the places that you can fly, the the countries that are still allowing Russian airlines to to operate versus the countries that have said no you can't operate there anymore. Mm-hmm. And and what does that tell you about about geopolitics and what does that tell you about the relationship between countries? Um and, and a single flight can tell you can tell you a lot more than two politicians speaking
1: uh, ever could. So what is uh what do you watch the most? I mean I imagine the United States has the most active flights. Is there a number of Flight Rider 24 where you know how many how many are being tracked right now is there like some magic staggering number
0: uh yeah so the the most we've tracked we're, we're starting to see um, we're starting to see the the statistics creep up um, as far as recovery kind of uh, as covid becomes more manageable around the world and, and more countries open up um, the the general numbers that we're seeing as far as commercial flights're creeping up towards a hundred thousand commercial flights a day um, at any one time there's between about 9,000 and 16,000 flights in the air at any one time. What's the highest it's been? Do you remember? The highest we've ever tracked it at a single point in time is a slightly over 21,000. Wow. In being tracked in the air at the same time. Right. Or on the ground, yeah. but, active. uh, yeah, but, but active with the, with the transponder active. on, yeah. uh, that's yeah. staggering yeah twenty one thousand um, at any one time and then the it was two hundred and thirty one thousand total flights per day uh and that was august twenty
1: nineteen what about the lowest in covid because i mean there was nothing but cargo going for a while there was like it was pretty sparse on here
0: yeah the the lowest that we had total uh was april twelfth two thousand twenty uh and that was what was that forty two thousand flights total, um, wow. which is, I mean, just, you know, a, a far, far below. And so quickly as it happened, we went from, you know, normal, normal flights, um, mid March to, to almost nothing, um, in, uh, yeah. in, in the middle of April, like literally nothing. So what's your favorite airplane then? What do you follow? Uh, my favorite airplane is the 747. Is it a, hey, the big uh, ones, They're old school. I, Yeah. I mean, I, I just, there, there's something about the 747 that um, when you look at it, you, you just, it doesn't give you the same feeling or it gives you a different feeling than any other plane. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there are lots of reasons to, to love lots of different planes. Um, But the 747 just all around you, you look at it and you go, that's an airplane. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Classic. Like that's the it in the movies, Uh, seeing one take off and hearing it and feeling it is just wow.
0: Staggering, exactly. Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So I must've hit you guys hard then when the Antonov got hit um, in Ukraine. I mean, that's a, that's a tough one for aviation fans everywhere.
0: I, I mean, it's, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where it doesn't compare. I mean, the, the loss of an airplane doesn't compare to, to what's happened to, to people uh, in Ukraine, but it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's symbolic um, mm-hmm. for, uh, not only the aviation industry, but for kind of the, um, the, the goals and aspirations of, of Ukrainian people, because that was it was the largest cargo aircraft in the world. Um, and it had been so well maintained. And the, the ability to, to fly that aircraft around the world and anywhere it went, it was the most tracked flight in the world. At, at, on, on flight range twenty four, any anywhere it went, um, especially when it went far, and in the past three to six months, it had dedicated uh, been dedicated to to COVID um, carrying medical supplies. Basically, um, it would you know it would fly to to production facilities um, in Asia, and then it would fly to to distribute all of those um, in in places like Poland or Denmark or. Um, or it actually came to to Canada a couple of times. It was in Montreal a couple of times. Um so I mean, you know, the the loss is it's just a plane, but mm-hmm. it's not just a plane.
1: Yeah, it's so much more than a plane at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um daylight and darkness. Um I didn't notice that in the past. Is this a new feature mm-hmm. where you guys are tracking sunrise sunset because you can see where it's dark in the world, where it's daylight in the world or did I just not clue into that?
0: It, I guess you just didn't click on it really, uh, huh? or, earlier, but, but yeah, no, it's, um, it's one of the, it's one of the things that I certainly like to play with um, because you can see where the um, it, it's fun to turn that layer on and then click on a long haul flight mm-hmm. because you can see how long, you know, how many sunrises or sunsets the the flight has, has seen so far. Um, especially this time of year with um with the the northern hemisphere coming into summer, uh, you get a lot of these these longer flights that are are you know take off in the middle of the night, but it's sunny the entire flight.
1: Yeah, that's amazing, right? And what is the so uh, longest flight? Is that still the L.A. or excuse me, London to Melbourne? Is that still the longest flight, or was that just the longest Dreamliner?
0: Uh, so that's that's the the longest Dreamliner. It's actually not operating right now. Um, they haven't brought it back yet. The Qantas is still doing London the, their London flights out of uh, Darwin mm. for for the next uh, month or, or so. But the the longest flight right now is uh, Singapore Airlines New York uh, to Singapore, and and they're operating two at the moment uh, to to JFK or Newark. And those are both the kind of one and two longest flights uh, Isn't that funny in, in the world. You're going to go on that big, long
1: flight and you're going to choose this airport. Cause it's a 45 minute taxi ride. Like that of all the things, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's funny be, because they, you know, the, the Singapore does the, the Singapore Newark flight. It ba- it's basically a um, pharmacological, uh, flight it's all the folks that are in um are are in the the drug business basically Mm -hmm. uh flying from from new jersey to to singapore and and back and forth and that's why the direct flight exists um and then during covid they they stopped the flight for a while and then brought it back because they had so much cargo to carry um between the two and and now they've ended up with having these two flights and and you can choose between um you know which which one is less inconvenient i guess new worker or jfk yeah that's so funny it's so uh, humans are funny that way um and
1: uh, there was one other question here because we can talk about this for days so i just want you sure. to come back in cuz this is this is fantastic on the military flights they don't really have a duration on them the same as the commercial flights is that just mm-hmm. one of those you don't need to know how long it's been there sort of things uh
0: most of that is because those flights aren't uh, they don't have a schedule and oh, okay. um, and so we 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 can't we don't know the schedule. So, so we can't show that. And then part of it is that they're not taking off from an airport um, that's in our database uh, b- because the, the airport database that we maintain is based on commercial uh, commercial airports. So airports right. with an IATA code, that, that three letter code. Right. Um, and if they don't have that, then, then we're not getting um, we call them events, uh, takeoff, landing, gate departure, things like that. Right. We're not getting those events and then we can't have the, the stage length. Well, it
1: sounds like an awful lot of uh, typing of original tiny little details before you started to connect to the streams of data it's fascinating um i still want to have the conversation another time in about how this all got started because you had shared with me and i'll use this to uh inspire everyone's curiosity a little bit that this whole thing was actually an accident yep and um and it inspired this massive access point which has become the standard to track airplanes around the world so this is fascinating and i just uh, I find it so curious I invite everybody um and i I would like to get into a conversation another time even about like you said the people who are the people who are aviation fans but don't realize they are yeah. give them a chance there, to learn.
0: there there are a lot of people out there who who don't know uh that they actually really like planes mm-hmm.
1: yeah not just for the beer and the palm trees on the other end <laughs> right it's amazing it's all, it's
0: all about the journey right yeah, uh, flightrider24.com.
1: Go check it out. And Director of commu- Communications' is Ian Pechenik uh, joining us from Chicago. Well, I want to bring you back on here in a few weeks and, and talk more about this. Plus, I mean, there's all the tracking and all we can get into all of the tracking that the different Twitter sites follow on Flightrider24 monitoring things sure. around Ukraine alone. So there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a bunch of things there. So if you're uh, interested, I'd love to bring you back. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd love to. Thanks for being here, bud.
0: Thanks for having me.